Greetings, Good Hopians. I'm Dr. Richard Harris. I'm associate pastor at Good Hope Missionary Baptist Church, and uh, I'm coming to you today from my home in North Lakeland. And if you're watching this on video on YouTube, then uh, then you can see I'm standing here next to a, a, our family manger scene, and we're going to be using that because this is the the first. Sunday in Advent. This is the start of the Christmas season for the church. And so I'm going to be referencing uh, this uh, manger scene from time to time uh, in, my, uh, in my message today, but I'm glad that you've joined us and tuned in. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this Advent season, this time of Christmas where we anticipate celebrating the birth of your Son. Lord, we love you, we love you, we love you. Thank you so much for loving us so much that you sent your son into this world to live, to be our model, and to die for our sins and become our Savior and our Lord. Father, we pray you would just bless our time together as we get into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning, this morning, you know, I want to I want to give you the message that no matter no matter you know what has happened in these last couple of years, no matter how hard your life has been, no matter if maybe you've lost loved ones, maybe you've lost a job, maybe you know maybe you've simply lost your energy and your vitality. Uh, we're all kind of suffering in some way from what has happened these last couple of years. But I want to tell you that no matter what. There's a special message for us today, and that is someone cares for you this Christmas. Someone cares for you this Christmas. Our scripture passage I'm going to read is uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 20. It's a very familiar passage uh, at Christmas time. It's part of the Christmas story. It reads like this. While they were there, the time came, they, meaning Mary and Joseph, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great a company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. 
But Mary treasured these things up in her heart and pondered them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which they had which had been just as they had been told. And that's Luke uh, chapter 2. May God add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his holy word. Now, I told you I was going to use this manger scene kind of as an illustration of what we're going to learn today. Now, this manger scene has a history. Okay? It's, it's not my family's manger scene that's been passed down from generation to generation, but it has a history. As a matter of fact, it was a gift. It was a gift to my wife, Tricia, uh, just a couple years after we were married. I didn't give it to her, uh, but that's the story of where did it come from. You see, we had our own manger scene. Actually, uh, it was a lot fancier than this. It was, it was handmade in, in Italy, and, and I, I, I really liked it. But this one has a little bit more meaning than that one that I just went to the store and purchased. You see, have you ever heard, and this is going to sound really strange, have you ever heard of Clifford the Big Red Dog? Clifford the Big Red Dog, it's a, it's a children's books, a whole series of children's books. And Clifford the Big Red Dog, it's the story of this enormous red dog and uh, his owner, Emily Elizabeth, who's a little girl. And this story and all the different antics they get into. And, and it's, it's a series of children's books. And uh, they've been made into cartoons, animated uh, shows on television. There's even a full-length movie. Uh, and uh, he's even been celebrated as one of the big giant balloons at the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Clifford the Big Red Dog. He was created by a man named Norman Bridwell. Now, Norman Bridwell happened to grow up in the same city that Trisha and I did, Kokomo, Indiana. And Norman Bridwell grew up right across the street from where Trisha lived as a very little girl up until she was five years old. Now, Norman was an adult and had his own children, the real Emily Elizabeth, uh, his daughter, who was a few years older than Trisha. But Trisha knew them during the time, age of like preschool and kindergarten, when she was three, four, five years old. And then when she was five, she, her family moved uh, to the, the suburbs at the other end of town. But when she was three, four, five years old, at Christmas time, Norman Bridwell would bring his family and come back to Kokomo uh, to, to spend Christmas with Norman's mother, Mrs. Bridwell, who still lived right across the street from where my, my wife, Tricia, was growing up at. So he would bring, of course, his daughter, Emily Elizabeth, and my wife played with the real Emily Elizabeth uh, of the, the book fame. Well, the thing is, you know, it... it the Bridwell family had this elaborate, Mrs. Bridwell, this elaborate manger scene with literally hundreds of pieces. 
and she, she spread it out. It took an entire room of her house to put all the shepherds and all the animals and, and all the angels that she had, hundreds of pieces. Well, my, my wife, Tricia, when she was just a preschooler, kindergartner, she, she was in awe every Christmas of this enormous manger scene and how it was set out. And she just thought it was so beautiful. Well, you can imagine the shock when after Trisha is grown, we're married. We've been married for a few years. We don't even live in Indiana anymore. We, we, I was, we were pastoring our first church in Illinois. When we get a phone call from Norman Bridwell, the famous author, he called us and he said he was coming, his mother had passed away and he was coming back to Kokomo, Indiana to clear out the house and get it ready to sell. He wanted to know if we could meet him at the house, come back to Indiana because he had something he wanted to give to my wife. I'm sure you already know what it is. It's, it was the manger scene. He remembered my wife, and he remembered her as a little girl loving that manger scene. So I want to talk to you tonight, or, or today rather, about, focus in on how God acts towards us. And I want to use two illustrations. One, I want to use Norman Bridwell and how he acted towards my wife, uh, that little girl rather. And then I also want to use how God acts towards the shepherds in that story, the Christmas story, and use those as illustrations for how God acts towards me and towards you. So let's get going. First of all, Norman Bridwell. The first thing I think about Norman Bridwell is Norman noticed. He noticed this little girl from across the street. He only met her a few times when she would come over and play with Emily Elizabeth. He noticed, he took notice of this little girl. I mean, think about this. this. This man lives in Martha's Vineyard. He's wealthy. He's successful. He's one of the, the most well-known children's uh, authors uh, you know, in the world. And he noticed this little girl from across the street from his mother's house. He noticed. Secondly, Norman remembered. He remembered, now we're talking 20 years later, he remembered this little girl and he remembered how enamored she was in awe with, this, with, with his mother's nativity scene 20 years later. And then the third thing is Norman cared. It wasn't just that he noticed my wife as a little girl. It wasn't that he remembered her 20 years later, but he cared enough to track her down and to make a phone call. And tracking her down, by the way, this wasn't as easy as it is today. There was no internet. We were out of, living out of state. He tracked her down and he called and made the contact and asked her to come back to Kokomo and meet him he cared enough to give one of his family's heirlooms to this little girl. Wow. 
Norman noticed, he remembered, and he cared. Keep that in mind. Because now we want to talk about God and the shepherds in this story. I'm afraid that in the 21st century America, uh, we, don't, we don't really have a correct understanding of shepherds in the New Testament times. You see, so often we lump the New Testament shepherds and the Old Testament shepherds, and we just kind of put them together. But there's a lot of difference. A lot of difference. Not that there's a difference in how you shepherd, but rather there's a difference in people's perceptions of those two. You see, in the Old Testament times, being a shepherd was a pretty respectable occupation. Uh, I mean, we think of David and realize that King David had been a shepherd boy, you know, and so we, you know, it, it was, it was, it was okay to be a shepherd in those days. But then you fast forward several hundred years into the New Testament, you open that and you realize that shepherding has changed dramatically uh, in people's minds, in their perceptions. Shepherds are now considered some of the least respected among the Israelites because of their occupation and the fact they had to be out with the sheep all the time. They weren't able to come at regularly to the temple or to the synagogues and worship, and therefore the religious leaders tended to look at shepherds as, well, they can't be godly people. And they were just, they were not the lowest of the low, but they were pretty low. They were pretty despised. It was not a great occupation to say in the New Testament times, I'm a shepherd. Well, it was to this group that God decided to first announce that Messiah had been born. Remind you, Luke 2, 8 to 11, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. God noticed the shepherds. He took note of these this group of people that really weren't looked upon favorably in society. And when it came time for the Messiah to be born, God remembered. He remembered the shepherds, no doubt. He remembered that one who was described as a man after God's own heart. King David himself had been a shepherd. He remembered how in the Old Testament, he often used the metaphor of the shepherd as one who cares for the flock, and it became a picture of, of the, the leader that God, that God honors. He remembered that he was sending his son into this world to become the good shepherd. But God didn't just stop with noticing the shepherds and remembering the shepherds. God cared about the shepherds. He cared about the shepherds enough to give them the honor that would be celebrated for literally thousands of years as the first ones to come and to worship the Messiah. 
They would be the first ones to meet this long-awaited Messiah. They would be the first ones, the first group. They would be a group of outcasts, but they would be allowed to see God in their very midst. They would be allowed to experience angels, and they would be allowed to meet the Holy Family, the very first ones. God cared about those shepherds. Well, I think the Norman Bridwell story and the shepherd's story, it all is, it's all pointing us to God and us. You see, the first thing when I think of God is God notices. God notices everything that you have been through in these last couple of years every loss you suffered, God notices. He's aware. And, and, and why wouldn't he be? For, for Jesus reminds us in Matthew 10, verse 30, even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. God notices. He notices you, and he notices me. Oh, that, that's good to know. That's good to know this Christmas. God notices. Secondly, God remembers. God remembers. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. God remembers. He remembers your pain. He remembers your sorrow. He remembers your joy. He remembers the good things that you have done. He remembers. You know, we live in a world where civility has been canceled and justice is jeopardized. We live in a world where ethics seem to have evaporated. We live in a world where love is lacking. We live in a world where morality is missing, where righteousness is removed. We live in a world where holiness is hard to find yet. God notices us. God remembers us. And then thirdly, God cares. He cares. Matthew 6, verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? God cares. You see, I don't want a God who just notices me. I don't want a God who just remembers me. I want a God who notices, remembers, and cares about me. That's what I want. And my God does all three. He does it for me. And he does it for you also. And so this Christmas season, I'll remember that that famous, successful children's book author noticed, remembered, and cared about that little girl that he only met a few times who lived across the street from his boyhood home. I'll remember Norman Bridwell. And I'll remember how God noticed and remembered and demonstrated care for those lowly shepherds and gave them a place of prominence that society refused to give to them. And most importantly, 
I'll remember that God notices me. God remembers me. And God cares, cares enough to send his son and his Holy Spirit to me this Christmas. John 3, 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Someone cares about you this Christmas. I told you that right in the beginning. This Christmas season, our God notices you. Our God remembers you. And our God cares for you. I believe in him. Have you given your life to Christ? If not, I can tell you right now, the first Sunday in Advent, the first Sunday in our Christmas season, that would be an ideal time to do it. It's really simple. You believe that Christ died for you on the cross, that he came and he paid the price for your sins, for all the things that you've done wrong. He paid the price so you don't have to. You believe that that's exactly what he did. You confess that. You confess, you confess your sins to him, and you be willing to confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You repent of your sins. That's an important part. You say, God, I do not want to continue to live my life without you, going the wrong way, doing the wrong things. I need your help, but I repent of my sins. I want to make a complete turnaround. I need your help to do that. And then finally, you receive Christ as your Savior. You say, Jesus, I receive your salvation. I receive you into my life. I want you to guide me and direct me. And I want to live my life for you. If you have never done that, I urge you, do it today. Do it at the beginning of this Christmas season. And I'll tell you what, Christmas will take on a whole new meaning for you the rest of your life. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who notices us. So often, other people do not notice us. Father, I thank you that you're a God who remembers us. You remember all the times when we have tried to do our very best for you, and yet others maybe have never noticed it. You remember. You remember all of our, our pain. You remember our problems. You remember our joys. And then God especially. We thank you for being that God who cares for each one of us. You love us. Thank you so much for loving us before we even cared about you. That's the kind of care our God has for us. Thank you, Jesus, for that. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.